Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Um, this week, we're going to go over the most common question that I get, and it's about opening a gym. All right. And we're going to kind of keep the gyms because this is what most people, you know, that are listening are uh, about. So we'll keep the gyms, but we're going to go over like how to open a brick and mortar business and everything that goes into that. Um, you know, the, I think the big thing that people don't understand is it's not, it's not like someone just walks in one day and says, okay, I'm going to open a business. And, you know, a week later they're in business and they, they're running and operating, they have all their equipment and everything's in order. Um, there's so much behind the scenes work that needs to be done you know, for months and maybe a year prior to opening a business that, um, a lot of people don't seem to understand. I, I think, you know, some of the questions that I'll get or some of the things that people will say, um, it, it's almost like they, they don't see the big picture and they just see like, okay, this guy was coaching people or this guy, uh, girl, whatever was working out and then just opened a gym and, it's that easy and that simple. And if you open a gym, people are going to come and you're going to make money. And it's not the case at all. Um, so I think a lot of people, and I've known business owners that get kind of that rude awakening when they open a business um, and they open a gym and they think like, okay, gyms are popular, working out's popular, and we're just going to make money. And then they realize there's, they're not making any money. They're, it takes a lot of members or a lot of training to hit a break even point and um, it's not as easy as it looks and they usually end up failing or they end up having to have another job just to keep their gym open. And um, there are some gyms, I know gyms where people have day jobs and they just, they have a gym, they want to basically break even, maybe make a little bit to get equipment for the gym, but they do it to provide in a space in an area for people to train and that's all well and good too. So it's, it's about what your plans are going to be. Do you want to make money from it? Do you want to be able to, you know, live off the income of your facility or are you doing it just to provide a space and just because you, you know, love fitness, love, you know, whatever lifting and, and you just want to have that space for a community of people to come together. So, um, I think that's comparable to you see people who turn into strength coaches or personal trainers because mm-hmm. they like working out. Yeah. And then they get into the business and realize like, I hate training people. Yeah. I like working out myself, yeah. but there's so much more work that goes into getting someone mm-hmm. else to care about it. And I know you've made a list before we started recording of like all the different aspects that have to go into a business, like the advertising and the marketing mm-hmm. and making sure that the books are in line for accounting stuff like that. Yeah suddenly it's not just showing up and working out like a training buddy. Yeah. There's a lot of aspects that you know, people hit burnout mm-hmm. because they commit themselves to something yep. without understanding the time and energy to that it's, commitment. It is sort of like, I mean, almost like any other field, like there's times where, you know, you could talk about it all day. You can go on it all day. And then there's times you're just burnt out. Like, I don't want to talk about work. I don't want to talk. You yeah. Know, but that's, the field you're in. And, um, a lot of times what people understand is like, if you open a gym or you become a trainer or coach, your own training is probably going to take a hit more than you think. So people will, the common thing is, Oh, well you work in a gym. It must be easy to work out. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, 
when you're surrounded by it constantly, sometimes that's the last place you want to be is still in there. And plus you all might have clients coming up to you, um, asking you questions while you're trying to work out. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden working out is more of an anxiety producing thing of, well, I hope that I don't get 50 questions today while I'm trying to be in the zone and work out. Um, you know, and I would say that's more of, you got to set those boundaries. Like in the beginning, it's going to be a lot more like that and and you're going to have to just set those boundaries over time. But uh, for people that have experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Getting back to, you know, how to actually open the gym and open your business up. First thing you want to do is a business plan. And if this business plan takes you a couple hours, that's not a business plan. Those are just ideas you're throwing around. All right. Brainstorming. If, if this business plan takes you a week, then you didn't sleep, you didn't eat, and you just went all out 24 hours a day, and you're probably going to the hospital because you're really messed up. Um, business plans should take at least a month, if not longer. Now, I'm not talking like the ideas swirling around in your head. I'm talking, you know, type it on the computer, pencil to paper, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, so what I did is when I knew I wanted to open a gym, of course I I had a notebook of just ideas and things I had written down Mm -hmm. and running numbers and scenarios of like, if this happens, this happens, what does that add up to what, you know, all these things. Um, and then I did months of research on, um, you know, locations, costs of those locations, um, what certain things meant within that field, as far as like triple net and things like that, uh, what's cam, what are all these things that are inside these contracts? What are things I should be asking for when I'm going to rent out a space? Um, you know, some people look into costs of building, which and I don't recommend that unless you're insanely rich and you just don't care. But, um, you know, within that business plan, I actually got software that was a business plan, um, writer or whatever. And it takes you through the steps, but I had to think and fill in those steps. This wasn't something that you can just, you know, it's a five step process and you're done. There was multiple steps and inside of those steps was even more fine detail that you had to come up with. Um, you know, and those are things like, what are the going to be the costs each month of overhead? So what's your rent, what's your utilities, um, what's your maintenance costs, what's your office supplies costs, you know, things like that. Um, your break even numbers, what do you need to break even once you do find out that that's the space you want to go to this, or this is the rent threshold that I can realistically afford. Or, you know, you want to have those break even numbers of, you know, rent insurance, um, utilities, all that stuff. And that's your break-even number. So whenever you go looking for spaces, you know you can't go above that. So you might need to sacrifice square footage that you want for the cost, depending you know what you can find. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's just going to be the way it is. Um, you might find, come across some great deals. Big space looks cheap. You go inside and it's a hunk of shit, and you're going to have to put in your own work and yeah. your own money to restore it. You know, and that's just, that's why they're renting it out so cheap because they know you're going to have to put a lot of money into it. Um, you know, again, inside of that business plan, what's cash flow look like? Where's the, where's the income coming from? 
What are the various services you're going to be offering? Dear God, do not be overly optimistic when you're looking at cash flow. Oh, no. Oh, no. Coming back to what Justin was saying about how long it takes to like start building up revenue from that and not even just like paying off debts. I was lucky in my regard because I came in very, very slowly with massage where I had my license for probably uh, 18 months to two years before I Mm -hmm. started a business. And so I was slowly picking up clients while I was doing a full-time job as a coach. So when I finally slowly made a transition into doing massage full-time, I had all of those clients that I was bringing with me. So even though I technically started and had quite a few people pick up, like, Justin was saying, like, there was a lot of time building up to that yeah. point. And, like, you cannot be overly well, optimistic. And you can't bank. You want to always shoot low. So if you do get higher, hey, that's a that's a bonus. It's a win. Because, right. um, like you said, you had clients that followed you. There, I remember when I did mine, I expected um, a few more people to actually follow me into my new space. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was all support. And, like, hey, they're going to follow. And then, you know, the things come out, like – Oh, well, where you're opening the gym is too far or, well, I kind of want to stay over here for whatever reason, or they're already integrated into whatever program up there. You know, it's like these things where I thought some, so there was going to be a little bit more people uh, that came with me that didn't follow. Um, And that's all well and good. It's their choice. But, um, you know, (laughs) the overly optimistic thing, I remember doing a five, because they asked you about a five-year plan and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to calculate out revenue for five years. And there were some, some that I wrote out at first and I just ran the numbers like, okay, how many memberships we sell, how much training at this number, um, how much in apparel sales, stuff like that. Okay. And, um, now mind you at the time when I first did a business plan was what our grand scheme was of having a CrossFit gym, having all that, that was my original business plan. So there were some of those. That I mocked out to where we were making um, by year five almost a million dollars in revenue a year. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, like when I started looking into spaces, trying to figure everything out, um, had I gotten the first space that I looked at, I probably would have went all in. Um, someone beat me to the punch and got it, but I probably would have went all in and done a CrossFit gym with everything that I did in the beginning and did it just all out right from the very beginning, right from the start. Right. Um, but that didn't work out. So I had to change my business plan and I had to change my model and understand mm-hmm. once you, once you get that business plan together, once you actually get rolling, that plan's probably going to change and you have oh, to yeah. modify things because it's got to be adaptable. What you expect and what actually happens are probably going to be two separate things. Mm-hmm. It's fine to have like, okay, um, a low ball plan and then a medium tier plan. And then what if we knock it out of the park plan? Yeah. Cool. All right. That's all well and good, but prepare for your low ball plan. <laughs> yep. And and then if you end up getting more, it's just, it's a win from there. Um, other things inside that, that business plan is what's the industry outlook? What's the industry look like the next five, 10 years? So since I've been in it, you know, I've watched this massive transition into online um, in social media. And I've watched people that don't deserve to have a single client to their name, rack up 50 clients online. They can't train anyone at all in person, but they can be personable online and they can sell their, you know, junk programs at whatever cost and be social and they have a following and they're throwing up their pictures and all that. But I've, I know their knowledge. <laughs> I've yeah. seen it and it's scary but people online don't know that. So no. 
now there's been this massive shift to online, um, which you have to kind of adapt to. Cause if you're not adapting at least a little bit to online, you're not, you're not going to survive or you're not going to do as well as you possibly could do. Right. So, um, you know, I know me and Dan are both a little more old school, um, where we like the word of mouth. We like, you know, we don't over advertise. In fact, um, this gym, we kind of quit advertising to be honest, because the, uh, ROI on advertising on, um, different platforms isn't there. So now sure we can run this or run that. And, and when I say, like we might post a lifter that did well online, or we might post someone's transformation and things like that, but I could be posting every other day of just everything, little thing that happens. I've, you know, I watch gyms do that and it, it just becomes oversaturated and becomes over, um, like you're trying to prove something to people and that's going to work for the, the general pop person who just wants to see whatever changes every other day. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to get in a more serious clientele and people that are going to stick around, it doesn't really vibe well. So see, this is where it gets confusing when it comes to the advertising and marketing Mm -hmm. is because it comes back to the business plan of knowing what is your market. What are you really trying to do? That's why you need to take so much time because if you're somebody who strictly wants to do online training, you better have marketing. You have to have Mm -hmm. advertising because you need as many people constantly coming as possible, especially if you're the type of person and you better know this about yourself. If you don't provide high quality training, Mm -hmm. if you're mostly just doing templates, you're not going to have a lot of retention. So you have to put that into your numbers and you have to constantly be trying to bring people in. You're not going to get a lot of word of mouth, but if you're somebody like Justin or like Dan, where it's like, we want word of mouth because of the quality of what we're doing, then you're not going to see a lot of ROI. Mm -hmm. But all of that information, part of it's going to come from experience, obviously, yeah. but a big part of it has to come from that business planning that you do at the beginning. Like, what is the market that you're looking to really attack? Yeah. And then adjust your advertising and marketing accordingly. Yep. That's that's kind of the other thing I was going to uh, get at in the business plan is you need growth strategies. So, yeah. And those are going to be constantly evolving. Um, do not see this all the time. Do not set your prices high off the start. It's one of the dumbest things you can do. You want to set your prices very, very reasonable because you want to rack up more clientele, more members, more. The word of mouth will travel so much faster. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to put a lower price point and work with 40, 50 people real quick, you're going to be able to take those 40, 50 people as long as you do well with them and show those transformations. Now you have a whole archive of transformation stories, you know, recommendations, things like that. So I'll watch people come into the industry and they're like, okay, yeah, I'm a hundred dollars a month for programming. You just started training people. What are you talking about? You know? So I think like that better be some damn good programs. Yeah. When we, um, when we first opened the gym, I remember, um, our first price point is $25 a month for a gym membership. And, um, what was training? I want to say training. I think back then was like 40 for nutrition. I think 60 for programming or something like that. Okay. And then you could be in a group. We had a group that ran three times a week. That was like basically just to save on -on one-on-ones and we trained everyone. And I think that was at 110 a month or something, maybe 115 a month. Okay. So that included... Um, a gym membership and um, three times a week training. And I think, and there was a group program, so it was an individual program, but that's extremely affordable 
um, for everything that was going on in there. So we didn't have an outrageously high price point. And then over time, those price points rose as we got more equipment, as we entered a bigger space, as we built our reputation for coaching, things like that, our price points rose. And I've had people have came back over the years to try to train with me. And now I'm just at simply too high of a price point for for them, for what they want to do or what they think is, let's put it bluntly, how serious they are. You know what I mean? So, um, and that's not the knock. Like I have people that, you know, cause the other staff members here, they might be a little bit cheaper. I'll put people towards there and I don't mind at all. Like, Hey, if this is your budget, I'm not in your budget, but these coaches are, I obviously vouch for them that they'll still be able right. to get you where you need to be. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other uh, ball game there. But the point is don't set your prices so high that you, you lose a ton of clientele. Right. And um, there's gyms around here that have always tried to do that. And that's why they're not successful is because their price points are way too high for the service they provide. You need to know the value of your service, but at the same time, you need to know your market. Yeah. And that comes back to what Justin was saying earlier. Like if you look into the location, you look into the demographics of, Mm -hmm. you know, who you're going to be working with, what's the dollar per customer spent, you can start to get an idea of where you are and then also being realistic about your level of experience. Yeah. Uh, When I came in, I started... I think I was doing, uh, but, but, but it was like 20 bucks for a 30 minute massage because yeah. I just wanted bodies on the table. I needed people to experience it. And it was like, I don't know, uh, it moved up to like 45 for an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. And then over time, like it's gradually increased, but keeping in mind what the value that I'm able to offer, you constantly yeah. have to be reassessing that and figuring out what am I able to charge and still be, uh, within a fair price point for the people I'm working with. Yeah. That's, that was kind of the next thing I was getting into. It's like when you're doing your business plan, um, demographics, you know, what's the population of the area? What's the population, um, density of that specific location, uh, area within, you know, five to 10 miles, uh, average income, what's the high income versus the low income ratio, age, gender, all these things take into account what your price yeah. point's going to be, what market you're after in that, that area, um, what your gym's going to be more geared to understand, like if you're going to be, um, near a bunch of, uh, elderly homes and stuff, you probably don't want a serious lifting gym <laughs> right there amongst the elderly. Cause they're probably, you know, they're probably not going to sign up for your gym. I don't know. I've seen a couple of videos of grandma and grandpa out yeah. there deadlifting yeah. before. So, yeah, I mean, you never know, I guess, <laughs> but, um, you know, the other thing is like, you looked at the demographics. Okay, now your location, how accessible is that business to that area? So if you, um, like if people are familiar with this area, you know, it's like if you park yourself on either end of Belden and people have to cross through there to get to your gym, you're going to lose part of that area because between you and them getting the 25, 30 minutes through all the traffic lights to get to you, there's probably four other gyms. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to find one that's right down the road for that them matter of convenience. Yeah. So are you off the highway? Close to highways is smart, especially if you're in a, a bigger city. You want to be close to highways because people are jumping on and off from work. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if they do live in the general area like us, like you can come off the highway and you're here in 30 seconds yep. off the highway. Okay. So people that live in this general area, they can hop on the highway from another exit fly up the highway, get here, or 
if they live in this general area and they're coming from work, they can pop off from work, come here, and then go home after. So, um, you know, that's kind of a big thing. Um, are you near houses, apartments? What are, you know, what are you near? If you're in a big city, are you downtown? You know, is there businesses in that area? Are there, is there a bunch of high-rise condos in that area? Are you accessible, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to understand, are you, are you in a city? Are you in a rural location? And then kind of go from there on what, um, where you're going to plot your business at. You know, from there, we, we did talk about like the costs a little bit and how to fund those costs. So you have insurance, staff, you know, equipment, office supplies, paperwork, um, that needs filed, attorney fees, you know, all these things. Um, how are you going to fund your startup? So again, if you go to the bank and I've said this on this podcast before, your likelihood of getting a small business loan, uh, you basically have no shot in hell unless you have a serious amount of money in your bank accounts or um, you have co-signers or you have some sort of thing like that because they generally require brick and mortar to be open for two years. Um, now, not to say it's not impossible. It's not, it's not always impossible. Um, I was, when I went, I know I made it to like the very top of everything um, before I was denied a business loan. The only reason was is because I had so much cash on hand that, they were almost willing to take the risk. Now I'd been training people for years too. So, you know, the, the money I was making was good. The cash on hand was good, but for that bank, it just was not worth the risk on something that hadn't actually opened yet. You know, so, um, you can always get a private investor. Um, I had a dentist that I worked with. He offered me $50,000, um, for a certain percentage, um, of just interest. He didn't want any interest in the company, but, um, but I was very, uh, very against that. And I I still somewhat am in a way, um, like I I try not to just like, you know, I I hate owing people. I'd rather own an, uh, you know, owe an institution. Um, I would hate to owe someone money that they worked hard for and, what if everything shits the bed and then, yeah, Hey, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, I'm going to pay you back, but it's going to take a little longer than expected. And then, you know, and then you got that person's going to be pissed or probably going to take you to court. You know what I mean? It's going to be this whole mess. Whereas like if you owe an institution, you owe an institution. And if you screw up, like at least you still have that route. Um, not that you ever want to you know, try to go this route, but you still have the route of like bankruptcy and all that stuff. And you know, there's a bunch of things that can happen there. Um, as far as business bankruptcy, but we won't, Hopefully that never happens to anyone. It's not <laughs> different podcast. But um, the point being, like, there's costs involved um, to fund your business. You're not just gonna, you know, you're not just gonna walk in and like, oh, everything's free. You know, um, are you buying used equipment? Are you buying new equipment? And let me tell you, I see a lot of gyms now buying all the fancy stuff. They they go in, they're buying the kilo plates, they're buying the expensive racks. They're spending, you know, 60, 70 grand right off the start, like just blowing it up. Mm-hmm. I hope to God you all have a serious business plan that's going to work because that is a lot of money to shell out week one without ever having any members or out not having any sort of backing. Like, a, you know, if you're a risk taker, if you have the cash on hand, cool, spend your money that way. But 
I mean, it's flashy. It gets people's attention. Yeah, They'll but get- the, but the, here's the thing. So people forget that flashy new thing. How long does that last? Four or five, six months. You're the new thing Max. in town. Yeah, and then that that wears off. And then people you find have, out you don't have, have quality training. Then you have to have a business. Yep. You have to have a serious business. Either your training needs to be good, your atmosphere, your gym, you know, whatever needs to be good. Um, because the new shiny thing only lasts for so long. Right. Um, and I've seen it a lot to where like gyms start off with a bang. They're the new thing in town. Then they taper off and no one, and there's not much to be heard. You know, make sure that you understand like you can buy some decent things used or, or get it along the way. That's, you know, and that's kind of what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hate to be cliche, but it's like every step that I, that I took along the way was per the like old school model of just working your ass off and using what you have. So um, we bought a certain amount of equipment off the start. When revenue started coming in, we started putting that right back into the business. And I didn't pay myself. You know, I, you know, it's just, I know everyone's got their own separate ways, but it's like that was fulfilling whenever you just, you grow it without organically yeah anything else so you know money goes back in the business you don't pay yourself you i wish i brought would have brought those numbers i mean i think the one year i paid myself like seven or eight thousand dollars or something like that yeah that's yeah i mean but the thing was look outside the gym it's like i i was living simple so that's the other thing is like how's your lifestyle outside the gym if you're able to live very, very simple, very cheap yeah. for years and years and years, you're probably going to grow your business huge and look up a lot of, um, look up a lot of CEOs or like big millionaires now and look at a lot of their, some of their stories are that way mm-hmm. where they literally lived like they lived up basically the equivalent of like paycheck to paycheck in a tiny little apartment or whatever. And it's just constant reinvestment and then when bi- into the business. Yeah. When reinvestment in the business, when their business got big enough. Some of these guys, it's like, okay, they went from that to now they're living in million dollar homes and, you know, multi million dollar homes, I should say. And their investments, they throw money into investments. They do all this and, you know, live simple for simple by those means for a little bit. They're not, you know, they're not driving the Lambo yet. But then it's like, then it just takes off. Now they're buying a private jet and they're doing all these things. You'll never get that from a gym. So don't get too hype. um, (laughs) The principle still applies. The principle still applies. Live simple. Put fund your business. Put the money back into your business. Even if that isn't part of the business plan, that needs to be something you're thinking about at that stage. You have to understand the mindset of a business owner, especially a small business owner, and especially a new small business owner. You are going to live an incredibly boring lifestyle Mm -hmm. for a long time. And if you don't, fantastic. You're one of the unicorns. Yep. But I mean, for the 99.9% of us, yes, that's how it works the first couple it's, of years. You know, it's not to say like, you know, I haven't spent money, done fun things and stuff, but I've sacrificed a lot more. And that's why when the time does come around and it's, and it has been here for a minute, it's like, okay, now it's my time that I sacrificed everything. And guess what? I made it through um, for the most part. So it's like, now is my time to reap those benefits. Right. And don't come, you know, the price is the price of the gym or the training or the whatever. Don't come asking for discounts. Because I'm I'm at that point where my time is worth this much. My gym is worth this much. If you don't want to pay it, don't be here. Don't train with me. Um, And all those sacrifices of giving discounts, working the hours, doing all that stuff Mm -hmm. starts to come around. So 
you know, wait till later. You're not going to get that year one. You're not going to get that year two. You're probably not going to get it year three. Like understand that. So, um, I think that's a good point that you mentioned from before too, though, is you made a smart decision realizing that the quality of your training is going to go up. Therefore, the price of your training is going mm-hmm. to go up as you go through and you anticipated that. Yeah. So what did you do? You made sure that you had quality staff who mm-hmm. their price might be different, whether it's yeah. on different services like training, um, the nutrition programs, whatever. So now you, as a business owner, you have options for people who have different price points. Yeah. Taking all that into account at the beginning, granted, like we said, it's got to be adaptable. You have to be flexible because things could obviously change, Mm -hmm. but you set yourself up for success ahead of time, knowing that something like that could happen. Yeah. And we don't do, um, now, mind you, if you, hey, do, it's your business, do what you want to do. (laughs) Um, But I know I've missed out on tens of thousands, if not a hundred grand plus on, um, you know, we could run, uh, a, a bunch of little schemes, little challenges. Yeah, we could. You know, I've never had supplements, never sold supplements. Um, not to not to say I don't like them, but like we've never went through anyone, you know, or any account or any multi level marketing crap. Like nothing like right. that to sell subs. Um, we sell apparel, but we don't like push it or anything. Sure, okay, you know. Um. So there's, there's ways, you know, and I know I could run challenges and I know I could run little, uh, schemes to make money and stuff. Um, but it's just not our model. It's not what I want to do. So it was against the value of the brand at yeah. that point. Yep. So if I, and if I wanted to run a challenge, it would be, um, like we've talked about before, it would be a very scientific model. It mm-hmm. would not just be like, Hey, a weight loss challenge or Hey, grab this bioelectrical impedance and, check your body fat and that's the way we're running it now. Yeah. We would do, a, um, you know, DEXA scans in there. Things would be voted on because um, it wouldn't be just about weight loss or fat loss. It would be about an overall change of maybe strength, maybe, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that went on, adherence to things. Um, but then we would do like DEXA scans. We, we'd make it crazy. And like, so there's all these valid points and then we'd have a panel vote on it. That's, that's kind of my model if I ever did a challenge, but um, anyway, as crazy it might seem, those are things you have to consider as you're opening the business. Mm-hmm. Essentially, as even though people don't want to put it this way, you have to be asking yourself, what is your level of, uh, how do I put this ethical behavior Yep. as an owner? Do you want to do schemes? Call it whatever you want. Yeah. If you want to use something that has a less of a negative connotation than scheme. All right. Call mm-hmm. it whatever you want. But you have to be able to ask yourself, where do you want that money to come from? If you have a high expectation for the value of your business, you're not going to do those things or you're going to do them in a very specific manner. And if you're somebody who's like, hey, we're going to do 30-day challenges, we're going to do a lot of on-ramping, great. Mm -hmm. But you better understand what that's going to do to the quality or the the public view of your brand when you make that decision. Because once you start down that road, it's really hard to come back. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that kind of ties into don't try to offer everything um, unless you have the coaching for everything. So what I mean by that is, you know, don't offer like here, you know, we offer weightlifting club coaching and you know, programming, all that. Mm-hmm. We have Dan Bell, you know, so it's like we have one of the arguably one of the best in the country. You know, there's no one even 
There's no one that comes close around here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we have the best weightlifting coach that teaches these people. So it's not um, Bob that did CrossFit for a year and then uh, dabbles in weightlifting a little bit, maybe did one meet. That's your coach now. Now, it's not to say Bob can't be a great coach, you know, five, six, seven years from now. Maybe they will be. But you know, Dan already is. Dan already is the coach. So not to knock new coaches because there are, you know, I, the stuff I know now compared to when I first started is completely different. <laughs> um, it's laughable, I know. You know, and it's like everyone's going to grow. Um, but you'll see, you know, I watch these gyms try to do it all. And it's usually like one or two coaches in there that try to do it all. I mean, okay, take and we'll take the Olympic lifting, for example, is like, I have coached Olympic lifters and I've done the programming for Olympic lifting. I would say my programming for Olympic lifting exceeds my technique uh, coaching for Olympic lifting, but I still could get people to move at least halfway decent. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not terrible. And that's coming from Dan Bell. So if anyone wants to, Oh, he's just talking. No, that comes from Dan Bell. He watched people I worked with. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I don't know it. And it's not that I couldn't teach it. It's I have Dan Bell one, two, when I was coaching that or when I was helping people with that, it's like I was still able to get them to that decent level. Whereas these other – I watch these other coaches, especially when they're working with athletes, and it's like you've been coaching for five or six years and they're, they still look like a baby deer out there. <laughs> like they – do you know what I mean? Like yes. you, you still can't get a beginner to – that you've been working with for a year or two to even look – halfway normal in their movement that i mean there's people in dance club that could coach better than that you yeah. know it's like anyway getting off topic but just know know your limits and stick to your guns and you'll be more respected more if you just do things the right way and don't try to go so far off track okay so the next part you know once you fund once you figure everything out you have to start to actually get your business going. You got your location. You talk to your, um, whoever the property manager is, you got your contract written out, you know, all that stuff you, you haggled. Here's a little pro tip. Always ask for two months free rent. Uh, nine times out of 10, you will get it, or you will at least get one month free rent, or you'll just probably have to pay the utilities and maybe a common area maintenance fee. But, um, usually it, you know, that works out pretty good, but you're gonna have to do your business filings with the state, which if you don't know how to do that, look it up. If you don't know, don't want to look it up, hire an attorney to do it. Um, that, that kind of ties into like, if you're not prepared to study, look up and figure out everything to do with that <laughs> business, do not open a business. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, we, we've talked about possibly getting Lindsay a little coffee shop here in years. Guess who's already been Googling how to run an efficient coffee shop. And I've been searching things about coffee. I don't know mm -hmm. shit about coffee. You know what I mean? But I bet you will soon. But I'm researching years in advance so I actually have some sort of thinking on it. And like she stopped into a shop. These people had been open, I think, like 20 years. And she started asking questions mm -hmm. as she was buying her coffee. You know, it's like get out there in the community. Get out there online. There's a ton of information. I don't have a business degree. I took one business class my freshman year, you know, in college. I don't know. I didn't know shit. I just did it. I just looked it all up. I put in the legwork. I didn't even ask anyone. I didn't really go ask any owners anything. I didn't really ask any, you know, and that's kind of on me. But like I researched everything myself. Right. And then I saw how, 
you know, the guy I was working for ran the gym and I saw some things, but since you did like the real life education version yeah. of it, of instead of being in a class, being told to research it, you're like, well, I don't need to be in the classroom. I'm just going to research it on my own and yep. start learning. And now that I've been in a while, now I really pick the brains of people that have been in business a long time. So when you've been in business 10, 15, 20 years, I want to know how would you do? If you ever deal with this, you ever deal with that? Yeah. You know, what are some common areas we can find in business that like. I just had a two hour conversation last night mm -hmm. with a business owner asking about things that I'm looking to do uh, in the next couple of months. Like, what are your thoughts on this? How do I do it? What do I need to be thinking about? Um, Because that's what it takes. So if anyone listens to this and you think that what we're saying is the end of the conversation where it's like, oh, I'm going to take what they're saying and run with it. Mm-hmm. And you're done learning. No, no, no. Yeah. This is like the prologue to the book of your business. This isn't even chapter one. Yeah. Chapter one is when you actually start doing the work. Yeah. And if anything that we say sounds daunting, don't do it. Do not open a business. If, yeah, you're if you, already screwed. If you can't put in the legwork in the beginning and work the long hours in the beginning, you won't survive. One, two, like a lot of people talk about it, but won't be about it kind of thing. Look, if you're, if you're not scared of failing, also don't open a business because if you're not scared, it means you don't care enough, like flat out mm-hmm. and you're just doing it just to do it and you, or you're just blind to the fact that you could possibly fail. So that was a, that was something that got told to me when I was looking to open a business um, from a guy that, you know, he had opened a few businesses. He had lost a few businesses, yeah. you know, he'd always been kind of an entrepreneur and um, that's what he told me. He's like, if you're, he asked me if I was scared to fail. And I said, well, yeah, he's like, good. He's like, cause if you weren't scared, he's like, you shouldn't be open to business anyway. Right. So um, not so scared that you don't do it, but scared enough to know that it matters. Yep. Yep. Well, that's the thing is um, when you're put in that position of backed into a corner or, you know, things are going wrong or, mm-hmm. or whatever you're forced to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're forced to bring out your best or else you're not, you're screwed. You're not going to survive. Um, yeah. From there, like, you know, you got your business up, you followed with your state, you got all those things. You're going to need things like attorneys, accountants, payment platforms, collections agencies. Uh, if you think you, you don't need a collection agency, I promise you, you do. There's a <laughs> lot of people that try to screw you over um, for money for a gym. Um, we just had a guy last week that uh, he went back and put a fraudulent claim on our charges for his gym membership in November and December. He was in here in the gym two days prior to doing that. And um, so now he – now, mind you, when this happens, it's easy. You just send the banks the contract, um, and we've never lost one of those. They always end up uh, ruling in our favor, but – the problem is they take that money straight out of the account. It takes about three months to get it back. So this guy kind of screwed us there. Um, but we're going to win on the back end because now he's got a bunch of fees mounted up on top of that. For the $100 he tried to save, he owes us um, about 180 So he's losing out on another $80. Plus now, um, if and when, uh, more likely when, we take it to uh, the local police then it's up to the prosecutor that if the prosecutor wants to, he's got, you know, fraud charges and whatever else put on him. So he's going to have, he's going to have something on his permanent record 
criminal record for not paying or for thinking that he didn't have to pay a gym membership and trying to sneak something past us. So be interesting. Things you learn. Yeah. And we've had people try to do it before. And like I said, we always end up winning them. I mean, we've never lost one of those because we don't screw people over like that um, with money. Now, if it, you know, it's not like he paid for something and then didn't get the service. Um, right. The biggest one we had is years ago. There was a guy, he got all of his programs. He did one-on-ones and all this stuff, and he paid for it up front all at once. It was mm-hmm. like $550. He tried to go back and put a fraud claim on it, and he lost. So um, that was another guy. He ended up um, having charges put on him and everything else. So he has a criminal record now for trying that. Got so, it. yep. That brings up a good point, not to go off too much on a side topic, but coming back to the idea of like the mindset of the business owner, if you do not think that you have it in you to be confrontational in those situations, to follow through on what you know needs to happen, this Mm. is not for you. And I don't just mean a gym. I mean a business in general. You are going to have people that screw you over. You are going to have people that try to take advantage of you. And if you're not capable of pulling the trigger in that situation of doing what needs to be done from a a legal standpoint – then yep. this is going to be incredibly difficult for you. You're probably not going to last in it. That doesn't you, mean you have you to have constantly to be, be an asshole. But yeah, you have to be nice and and you know if like people come and have a consult with me, if they have time with me, um, they'll see my personality. But if you've ever crossed me, you'll see the hammer. Right, you'll see it come down. And um, you know you definitely need and you will use your attorney for things. Um, we had a dumb young kid. Uh, couple years ago went out and blasted some stuff online oh yeah basically yeah remember this? yeah i do basically um he broke a lot him and his buddies broke a lot of rules inside the gym and we wanted to talk to him about the rules they were breaking and kind of let him know like hey like you can't keep doing this we'll end up kicking you out um they were sneaking in people they were stealing doing all kinds of stuff and so, then they were posting pictures about it online yeah they were posting <laughs> um they were posting videos of like their friends in and like have that video evidence of you sneaking these kids in and no, you know, and the one kid even emailed like, yeah, these, you know, kids, you know, I won't say their names gave me a free week trial. Uh, it's not up to those members <laughs> to give you a free week trial, son. Um, so that's where we had to go to this rule of, uh, cause the one kid that was brought in was uh, like 17. So we went to a rule of no one, 18 and unders allowed in this gym unless they're being trained. So, Anyway, these kids went on after that, after we said we needed to talk to them. They didn't come talk to us. They went on and just blasted that we were uh, basically racist and like all this other stuff. Um, now, mind you, my gym manager is uh, mixed and, you know, we have other ethnicities that are um, been throughout the staff or been throughout the, the gym and never had an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went on blasted stuff. So we ended up throwing a lawsuit against them. Um and they went down, put a judgment on him, and he had to file bankruptcy or else he would have had to pay that judgment. So watch what you post online. Don't be a dumbass is no. basically the moral of the story. So that guy, that, yeah, you have a bankruptcy uh, on your record for, what, 10 years because he wanted to go and lie and post something online. Yeah. So watch what you post online is the moral of the story. Watch what you say about uh, small businesses are very protected. So when you do open your small business – Make sure you have a good team of attorneys. Um, the law does protect small businesses uh, greatly, so use it to your advantage if you need to. It just if comes you, back to the research that you need to do, yep. so that you know all the protection you have. Yep. And if you can't, if you can't do that, 
like I said, if you can't be the bad guy, um, well, you're not even being the bad guy. If you can't be stern in those moments, then it's not the place for you. No. Um, and that's kind of how business is ran. Like your upper levels are you generally more stern and they, that they expect their lower levels to be a little bit nicer and accommodating. But if it comes up the chain, you have to be able to drop that hammer or you need to turn around and be the savior. So you need to be the nice guy, especially if one of your people screwed up or something like that. So being a business owner, it's not, it's all going to fall back on you somehow. You just have to learn how to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from there you got everything set up. You need to order your equipment set up, start your advertising. Um, I do not recommend going with like any of these search engine optimization companies. A lot of them are uh, almost fraudulent in a way. They don't really provide much more search than what. Well, what not almost. Yeah, they're fraudulent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't provide you with really anything and they'll try to charge you like two to $300 a month for it. And um, if someone wants to do advertising for you, like website development and all that, ask to see their work. Ask to see, like, let me see what websites you've done. Yeah. Um, and then, you know what? You can always call those businesses and say, hey, I'm looking into this person doing my website. Did you see any increased traffic? Did you see any increased sales? Things like that. Um, and find out if it's worth it. Um, everyone's into, and we've had bad experiences with this, everyone's into videography and um, doing photography now and helping you with your online social media and all that. We've never seen a very good return on investment with that. Uh, a lot of these people charge, and the charges can change apparently. Um, but a lot of people will charge. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to call it an outrageous amount, but it, it it is a can be a little bit egregious, especially if they're they're not editing the way that you would expect, and it's almost looks like you could have went out and took the pictures yourself. Yeah, um, I see that a lot. Um, and then also it depends how big your account is. So if you have a 100,000 follower account, you're going to get more out of it than us who have like a 1,000 or whatever. So, But again, let see their work. Make sure that you have some sort of agreement written up or um, you know, figure all the money side of it out so it's not changing all the time. But uh, for advertising like us, we, we used to do a lot of Facebook ads. Now mm-hmm. we kind of quit those. Because what I've seen on Facebook ads from gyms that run them is you'll have like one or – especially if you're a serious gym, you'll have like you know a little bit of support here and there. But you'll usually get like every couple, you'll get a troll or two that will come in and say like – like we've had old ladies comment about like the girls lifting too much or like um, one time we posted a girl that did a show – and these old ladies, older ladies came in like, ew, I wouldn't want to look like that. And like basically tore her down. Why? Like for, Why? Why do that? Because they have nothing better to do. Yeah. got to remember when you put these out, even if you set the demographics, it's still going to travel to people you that aren't your audience. So um, even if you set everything proper, it still happens. So um, yeah, the advertising and marketing world yeah. is it's a very complex array of yeah. components in there that I've been doing quite a bit of research lately looking at that and just figuring mm-hmm. out, you know, whether it's looking at SEO for the search engine optimization, or if you're talking about how much you're paying per click or if it's yeah. Facebook versus anything else. Um, 
it comes back to a couple of things that, you know, Justin just said and what we're talking about before where in the business plan, like how much money do you actually have to dedicate to this? Um, so like, what are your funds available, but also your demographics, your location, what is the best form of getting the word out in yeah. your area? Because if you're talking about trying to get, you know, search engine optimization and you're working with an older audience and they're probably not going to be doing a lot of Google searching for you in the yeah. area, then that makes no sense. Yeah. And then you end up trying to find somebody who's going to help you out with that. And there's no ROI. Yeah. The other thing that Justin said is like, researching the people because getting burned on that a couple of times um, not because the platforms that we were trying to use were bad platforms but the people who were in charge of putting them on the platforms were bad at what they were doing so like I said there's multiple layers of making sure that you have quality control on what you can afford and what you're trying to get out of it like you really need to take your time on that one to see any kind of uh, benefit yeah and, you know, know, again, stick to your model, be a little bit different. You know, um, you don't, everyone wants to work with like serious athletes now and everyone wants to like, oh, be the hardcore gym and this and that, that doesn't necessarily pay the bills. So like be a gym that can be, uh, all encompassing is kind of my philosophy on it, but also be a gym that you cater to those more serious people. So like, that's what we do. We cater to the people that are a little bit more serious, the competitors and stuff like that. But it's also a place where common people can come work out and no one's judged. No one's talking shit. No one's, you know, it's just like, you know, you might get help. You might not. Depends if you ask for it, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, around here, it's like we have, uh, we have a planet fitness, we have a massive powerhouse, you know, so like powerhouse is by far the nicest commercial. It's the only, but it's by far the nicest commercial gym in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, they have so many members that if another commercial gym decided to pop up around here, they would probably steal some of their members to be honest. Um, cause we get some of those that come in here because they want a smaller atmosphere. They want to actually be able to use the equipment and then maybe they take their training a little more serious and then they come over here or yeah. whatever. So, but be a little bit different. Like, you know, there's a ton of gen pop gyms. There's a ton of like sports performance gyms around here. There's, um, you know, there's CrossFit gyms and things, but it's like a lot of, a lot of people seem to be trying to do the same thing. Um, but you know, one of the best things, the most rewarding things that I ever get is when people come in and they know what this gym is and they know what the equipment, you know what I mean? They know the equipment and stuff mm-hmm. and they talk about, they compliment how nice the gym is, how like great the equipment is within the gym and you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are big compliments because you're not walking into like whatever gym down the road, you know, one of these little 24 fit places or whatever. Yeah. And like, no one's walking in like, oh, the equipment's so nice here. It, it's a commercial gym. It's the same as every other place you go to. Mm-hmm. There's um, my cardio section. Yeah. There's my isolation section over there. Yeah. yeah. The isolation machines, there's 9 million of them. They're everywhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it's like it's it's one of those rewarding things when people come in, they understand what it is. Um, kid, I just signed up a little bit ago. Was saying that like, oh, I wanted to make sure he's only here like, you know, half of the month at times because he's traveling for work and mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, but I wanted to make sure I had a nice gym to come to when I come home and things like. Nice. So he understands the value of the gym. Once in a great while, I'd say once every couple of years, we have someone that comes in like, 
oh, this is it kind of thing. Because they're used to a commercial gym and they don't understand what this gym okay. is. It's almost like that used to happen like at CrossFit gyms. People walk in like, wait, this is all like this is it. Like they don't understand it. Yeah. You know, um, I think we had a our first one in a long time, I think since the old gym, that a guy walked in and got the tour and like he told Austin something like, oh, this this is it. Like this is this is what's here. Like I can go down the road and pay less and there's their equipment's better or whatever. No, their equipment's not better. It's that they have more isolation machines and yes, they're price lower, but they also don't, you know, we're a small gym. We need to price point this to make, be able to make the money to survive. Um, but then also we have equipment that no one else has and sure they could go and buy it, but you're not going to match our atmosphere. You're not going to, you're definitely not going to match our coaching and you're not going to match our reputation. Right. So that's all there is to it. Um, it doesn't matter. That's the other thing is it doesn't matter. Like you can buy all the fancy equipment you want. If you don't build a reputation or build a coaching or build a model or build an atmosphere, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean shit. So, um, you can go spend all the money you want. You know, we've, there's a small gym down the road that tried to do it. They're, they're literally a spinning image or try to be a spinning image. They just have a far less equipment, mm-hmm. um, far less space and, you know, they have like one platform for Olympic lifting or something and like one deadlift platform, but it's like, they tried to model almost the same thing and they're, you know, they do. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. there's no, there's you see that a lot where people, there. they go through the motions of mimicking a successful gym mm-hmm. when those motions aren't what made it successful. It's the people yeah. running it. It's the mindset. It's the planning that goes into it yeah. that resulted in having a gym that looked like, or in this case, like looks like yours mm-hmm. where if you just do, if you just took a mirror image of that yeah. and put it somewhere else and have someone else in charge of it, it is not going to be successful. It's going to be the same thing. And you know, it's like you said, where just because you have all brand new equipment, it's going to be flashy. It's going to get mm-hmm. attention. But after a couple of months, what happens? You see the underside of it, like the true nature of it, which is it's shit. There's yeah. no quality to that. Yeah. Just the equipment. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, if you, like we have our equipment and like some of it, I'll let age for a while. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's not, it's not getting replaced anytime soon. And then other things we'll buy, you know, like we just bought that combo rack and stuff. We'll buy things here and there. Mm-hmm. But going and spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars more and buying all this equipment and stuff, it doesn't it's not gonna make my gym memberships pop. You know, it's not gonna right. make the training pop. Like it's not it doesn't work that way. And that so, doesn't make you a better coach no, in the process. No. So um you know, and I get questions from all around the country through my DMs about opening gyms and stuff and and hopefully everything that like I'm saying, you just have to attach it to where you're at, you know, like being in Canton, we're not in an overpopulated place. It's, it's, de- it's decent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some money that flows through here. Um, it's kind of mixed a little bit, but you know, we're saturated with gyms. I mean, it's 20 something gyms. Oh um, yeah. Within a few miles of here. I mean, of all different kinds of varieties. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you name it and it's, it's here and, um, you know, it's one of those things like we've always talked about. We know we could do better than some of these gyms on like athletic training, but we're not gearing towards athletic training, right. you know, because of the space we have. And then also like that takes time away from our coaching staff over here to do this. And, you know, it's just not what we're doing, but that can be really frustrating. If you're a yeah. good coach 
um, whether you have a lot of time in or experience or not, like if you were a really good coach, like Justin was saying, he focuses on powerlifting, but he could do mm-hmm. a little bit of the Olympic weightlifting. Like mm-hmm. he could get people, you know, competent in that. It's going to be hard to watch someone else do something you know you could do better and not do anything about it because you're going to focus on your core competencies, yep. on what you really want to put your time and energy into. And you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're going to start spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. Yeah, I watch. It's especially because athletic, the athletic uh, coaching world is like becoming a lot bigger. Parents want their kids trained and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it get, I mean, me and Dan always talk about how frustrating it is because we watch these other gyms that wear themselves thin and like, you have no business coaching young athletes at all. No like, kids doing horrendous cleans. Like you can't even teach a kid to squat or deadlift properly. Like and you want to add on the technical difficulty of a clean or a yeah, snatch. Yeah. Very, very frustrating to watch. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, to a point, try not to concern yourself too much with everyone around you. Do your own thing, tunnel vision kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're you're going to get frustrated. And we used to do it a little bit more. It's like we used to talk shit a little bit. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. We used to talk some shit. But, you know, as I've gone, like, honestly, like, unless someone brings up another gym, I don't even fucking know they're around. Like, I don't pay attention to anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I might see something on Instagram of, like, someone – down the way or whatever someone a lot of times someone sends something to me i'm like oh shit you're gonna get me ranting now mm-hmm. but like i do i honestly like i quit paying attention to like it was said um about a year ago like I, there's more now because more keep opening but like there's about a big five six gyms in ohio that are like known as like okay those gyms are a little more serious and yeah. stuff like if you're not in those gyms and you're you know those are the people we know that train there and stuff mm-hmm. like that's, you know, it's what you kind of look at. Like, I don't really care what anyone around here is doing. Um, but you know, and it's, it's the same thing. Like I'll walk into other gyms, um, you know, when we travel or whatever, or we've been to other gyms in Ohio, I'm like, damn, it would be nice to have this set up. Like, you know, and I get like, like I'm a member. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I get excited for them. Um, and I see things like, oh, I wish we could do that. I wish we could set up like that. Oh man, that's a good idea. I should So visit gyms, you know, figure out what's good setups, what you like and things, but don't like understand how long some of them have been in business. If they have four combo racks and three monos and like all this crazy stuff and you want to open a powerlifting gym, you don't need all that off the start. No, <laughs> you don't need to do all that. So, um, I wanted to throw out some like raw numbers cause I feel like people, never understand this. Um, you know, I always get the questions like, Oh, is it cost a lot? So here's some raw numbers for you. Um, <laughs> since the gym has been open, we've expensed $168,000 just in rent. So if you take, you know, think of that, like if you bought a house or something or whatever, imagine paying off that house at that much and you paid it off in five years. So if that tells you anything, um, that's just rent. So we've expensed six hundred, about six hundred thousand dollars in total expenses. So you guys can do the math there. Um, been open what five and a half years? Six hundred thousand dollars. It's over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So um, it is not cheap by any means to run a gym. So if you're a member of a gym, hopefully that brightens your eyes a little bit and you understand why the charges are the charges and why if you're late paying us we get pissed Mm -hmm. um 
you know, why if you try to screw us over, we get, we get pissed. <laughs> like it's, it's not an easy thing. And I know for some, some gyms, that's peanuts. Like that's nothing. You know, if you're in a bigger city, big gym, big box gym or something, mm-hmm. they're, they're expensing a lot more than that, but you also have more members. So it all kind of evens out. So you take some of these gyms that gross, um, 900 to a million two a year. It's like, okay, when you're expensing, um, $500,000 a year, do the math. You're making a lot of money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, or at least you better be. Yeah. I hope, I hope you're making a lot of money, but, um, so it's all relative, you know, there's, um, I know small ish CrossFit type boxes that, I mean, those guys, um, some of them are making over a hundred thousand dollars a year running a CrossFit gym because their overhead's low, their equipment was cheap, equipment's all paid off. and They were smart about what they did in the setup. They have a good price point and they have a lot of members because they're in a dense city or whatever. So Mm -hmm. um, it's all all relative, you know, and there's guys with gyms like mine that make quarter million a year. You know, it's like, it's all over the place. It all depends what you... You're not going to know that until you start doing that research and figure it out at the beginning. Yep. You have to be committed to getting that information. Yeah. But be prepared to like... Just be prepared. Don't pay yourself at first or say like, okay, because that's something else that's going to be in your business plan is how much you're going to take. So cap yourself at your needs. You know, if you can't quit your job yet, and but you want to take a little from the business, maybe you take 10 grand from the business mm. that year or something. Uh, maybe it booms, you know, if it booms, reinvest. Don't just take the money because a lot of times if you reinvest, you're going to compound it more and you're going to make more money later. Right. So that's kind of the game. All right. Um, yeah, that, I think that kind of covers basic 101 of opening the gym. So hopefully that helps everyone. Um, if you do ask me questions in DMs, I probably referred you over to this because I'm done typing books inside of the DMs. <laughs> so hopefully this helps. I mean, at the end of it, though, you could just like copy paste all of your DMs and like have an ebook because that's the popular thing now is everybody oh, has yeah, ebooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I should probably create an ebook and. Sell it for what, 20 bucks, 30 bucks? Yeah. Whatever. Coming back to the idea of schemes. There we go. Yeah. Maybe we'll send you a thing of uh, what's now? Fit T or some shit. <laughs> Fit T with every ebook. Okay. Um, where are we at? We got how much time we got? Time wise, we are at one hour. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Sorry. We were rolling. Sorry, everyone. That was good, though. All right. Well, we're again, we're going to skip out on the questions because we suck. So we'll get to him at some some point. But uh, if you do have questions seriously from this podcast, um, go ahead and send them to me. Um, but try to think for yourself a little bit at least and understand uh, what you're getting into. So that'll be it for this week. Um, then hopefully next week we'll be able to get to some, some podcast questions. When we do throw them up, please ask them. So uh, unless you got anything else, that's pretty much it. No, I was just going to say, I know we went through a lot of information um, talking about multiple different topics. So if you guys want something that's more in-depth on any one of them, we can certainly do that. Because even though this was a fairly long podcast, this was really just kind of skimming the surface mm-hmm. on every single one of them. So I know that it would get into a level of detail that maybe not everyone is super interested. Um, but it definitely is something that we can do in the future if people have more specific questions about any one of these just let us know all right we'll see you later have a good one